Pastor Xavier Reese explains how meeting the requirement of repentance yields a pretty good result. Everybody needs to repent. There's no one who does not need to repent. The Bible teaches that where sin abounds, much more does grace abound in the book of Romans. You might be out there saying, well, you don't understand what I've done. It doesn't matter what I know. But God knows. He knows about it already. There's no sin too great. Jesus says he can make you whiter than snow, cleanse you, make you a brand new creature, a son and a daughter of God. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Despite the certainty that death for all of us, for the most part, is a matter out of our hands, the certainty of our eternity is very much within the grasp of all those who wish to be saved. Pastor Xavier continues now with yet another study from his series in the book of the prophet Isaiah titled, A Call to be Saved, Critical and Eternal Simple Truths from Chapter 55. Let's listen. A man was witnessing to another man about his need of being saved and how Jesus had come to die for his sins and how he could be forgiven. And the man made all kinds of excuses and arguments why he didn't need to be saved and why he didn't believe the Bible to be the word of God. The following week, he was in a tragic traffic accident and he died. And this man entered eternity to give account for his own sins. Taking a low figure of deaths per year, 60 million would be low. That's two every second. Taking the parable of the sower into consideration, a one to four ratio, that means that there are at least, at least 45 million people that enter eternity. They have to give account for their own sins yearly. I can find nothing more bleaker than that. Knowing that the gospel of Jesus Christ is available to all. Now the regret of such individuals is that we read what they're thinking when they pass into eternity. For in Luke chapter 16 around verse 19 through 31, Jesus gives us a story of the rich man and the bigger man, Lazarus. And they both died, and one went to the place of comfort, the other one placed torment. And from the place of torment, the rich man says, Father Abraham, dip your finger in cool water so that, or have Abraham so he can cool my tongue. He says, son, there's a gulf fixed between you and I and them. Once you go there, you can't come here, and they can't go there. He says, well, we'll send back someone from the dead. No, they have the scriptures, they have the prophets. If they don't believe them, they will not believe someone from the dead. By the way, Jesus Christ has come back from the dead. People don't believe that conversation I want you to be very familiar with because that conversation goes through every person's mind who enters eternity without the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. They remember loved ones. They remember opportunity. But there's nothing that can be done about it. A horrible picture to warn us lest we end up in the same place. The prophet Isaiah calls out to the people of God to trust him for their complete salvation through his methods in chapter 55 here. Let me read them and we'll give you the points. Ho everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is uh, not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. 
Here in your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given you as a witness to the people, a leader, and a commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you, because the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor uh, are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and so and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth the bud so that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be and go forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing which I have sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace, the mountains and the hills, shall break forth in the singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. The prophet Isaiah calls out to the people of God to trust him for their complete salvation through his methods. And it's characterized through three things. First, the offer of salvation in verse 1 through 5. Then second, the conditions of salvation in verse 6 through 9. And then thirdly, the promise of salvation in verse 10 through 13. Notice with me, first of all, in verse 1 and 2, that the invitation was to obtain eternal life. The invitation is a call to all who are thirsty spiritually. The offer is filled with pity and compassion for those who are lost by the words ho, which is an expression of urgency. This is the third ho, or o, of pity and compassion. In chapter 54, verse 1, for the barren. In chapter 54, verse 11, for the afflicted. And now here, for the spiritually thirsty. The basis for which he can offer this salvation is based upon the suffering servant of chapter 53. The offer is guaranteed to be spiritually satisfying. Notice that by coming to the waters in verse 1. And the words used are all figurative. Thirst, waters, eat, wine, milk. Water is often used in the scriptures to represent God's word and his Holy Spirit. And it provides satisfaction for life. Even as the psalmist in Psalm 42, 1 and 2 says, As the hearth or the deer pants after the water brook, so pants my soul after thee, O God. A thirsting after God. Eating, again, speaks of partaking of the things of God for nourishment and strength in terms of my relationship to God. As a parent, we tell our kid, eat, so they're strong, so they get nourished. The same God towards us. And milk, of course, is used as the most basic nourishment for an infant. Notice the invitation is a call to receive the spiritual benefit 
freely. This is difficult for people. The prophet first states, and you who have no money, come by and eat. The one who is poor in spirit, as Jesus taught in Matthew 5, 6 on the Sermon on the Mount. He's not talking about money financially, but he's talking about spiritually broken. That individual who concludes by hearing God's word that they are spiritually bankrupt to deserve salvation from God. And a warning to anybody who would dare to think that they could purchase that salvation by money. Now, sadly, too often religious people think they're going to get into heaven because of the money they've given. Or because of donations they've given to build the church, the basilica, or whatever it may be, and that's wrong. We are saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. The plea to buy and eat is based on the provisions God has made to experience true satisfaction through his son. He's just finished chapter 53. He's moved to 54. Now the offer comes in 55. Notice the prophet says, secondly, Yes, come, buy wine and, and milk without money and without price. Once again, without money and without price refers to the provisions of God's grace. Wine is often used figuratively for joy in the scriptures. Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 1, and many other passages, it speaks of joy. Because the, the scriptures clearly condemn drunkenness. Throughout the scriptures and in the Proverbs, it nails it. The man is not wise. Milk, on the other hand, is used as a, uh, to represent uh, that, that nourishment, as we pointed out, that is necessary for the infant. The experience of responding to God's invitation, notice, would result in bringing joy and strength to their lives. And as people respond to God and they yield to God, that's what happens. We've talked and seen already in Isaiah as wings of eagles. They should run and not be weary. Even the young men will faint, but not those who depend upon God. Notice verse 2, the reproof is declared in a form of two questions. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? Literally, what is weighed out in silver. Now, the clear implication here being those things that do not nourish man in the things of God. There are so many things that people do trying to get satisfaction and fulfillment that have nothing to do with their relationship with God. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves, but if God's not in the picture, they're only taken away from God. They're taking away the person away from God. They're not going to lead a person to God. Those things that hurt man spiritually. And as we look today in our generation, we see that we are a generation of people who love to be entertained. We want to just live high on the hog, and we want to experience all we can in terms of materialism and travel and everything else, and yet there's no cultivation, no investment in terms of the spiritual life in America for people. Now, I, I, these polls, the polls are weird because they say, you know, 80% of people in America say they're Christian. Well, they are. We're, we're lying or we don't understand what Christianity is because people don't live like Christians, 80% of them. If they did, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in. So something's drastically wrong. Why do you spend your wages for what does not satisfy? Those things that seem to bring temporary satisfaction but never lasting fulfillment. God pleads through Isaiah saying, listen carefully to me and eat what is good. I can see a mother or a father saying to this kid, eat it. It's good for you. I want to eat it. 
The reason being was that they had not listened in the past. A parent doesn't say to a child, listen to me. And it's by the tone that you know that it's not the first time. <laughs> the reason being was that they were going into captivity. They would need God's word. The church in China, the book, tells account after account that only those who had God's word in the Chinese prisons survived. Those who did have God's word did not make it. It's God's word that's going to get you and myself through the difficult times, the times when, when it, everything seems to just fall apart or that it doesn't seem fair, whatever it is. It's God's word. Don't look to your pastor. Don't look to other people. Don't look to the church. Don't look to nobody but Jesus Christ. And once you look to Jesus Christ, God may use people. God may use your pastor. God may use the church. But you go to Jesus Christ. Very important. God's counsel to the people. And let your soul delight in abundance. The spiritual man is to delight in the things of God. The soul is the inner man, the new man, who has his intellect, emotion, and will subject and aligned with the word and will of God. Notice, secondly, verse 3 through 5. The revelation was to the people of God. Okay? This is not to pagans. The people of God. The revealed counsel was from God, being threefold. Incline your ear and come to me. In other words, listen and obey so you can walk with me. God wants to walk. He is more excited about me than I am about him. I am persuaded of that at times. Here, and your soul shall live, declaring that obedience to God has its own reward of experiencing life as he intended it. Obedience has its own built-in reward. You show me a happy child, I'll show you an obedient child. You show me an unhappy child, I'll show you a disobedient child. The correlation is, is unmistakable. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David, for God would make himself responsible for the individual after the same covenant of the past. God hasn't changed the rules. It's the same thing. The Messiah would be the ultimate fulfillment of David, as is stated in 2 Samuel 7. Isaiah told us in chapter 9, 52. Hebrews 9:15 confirms that. Notice the revealed promise was related to David in verse 4. Nothing has changed. Some take this verse now to refer to David who God had given him as a witness to the people and leader commanding the people. Others take this verse to refer to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who God has given as a witness to the people and a commander of the people in the book of Isaiah, particularly the section of the suffering servant from 48 to 57. I choose the Messiah interpretation that it speaks of him. For David was no longer present, and Jesus was coming. So it has to be prophetic of him. Now, notice verse 5. The revealed revelation of the nation was for the future. The logical interpretation would, would be to take this verse now, verse 5, in reference to the Messiah, since we have taken the previous verse 4 as Messiah. It would be God who would call and use the nation of Medo-Persia, who God 
did not know as a people in order to deliver Israel from Babylon, Darius and Cyrus. Because he's talking about future things, but he's also dealing with current events of Medo-Persia. And we've seen short and long term two full applications through Isaiah many times. Then in the kingdom age, the nations who do not know Jesus, the Messiah, will run to him. This is very, very clear through the scriptures. The reason being that Jehovah, his God, and the Holy One of Israel has glorified him, the Son. Now, if you take this verse to imply to Israel, then the interpretation still fits. Ultimately, the nations will run to Israel in the kingdom age. He's already told us in chapter 2 the kingdom, in chapter 45, verse 14, and many other passages. And the reason being is that our Lord, our God, the Holy One of Israel, has what? Glorified him, the nation. But I believe it's speaking about Messiah. But there's two ways to interpret that, if you choose. Now, in a book entitled Peace Child, Don Richards records the moving account how the Sawi people of Iran, J-I, J-A-Y-A, came to understand salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. For many months, he and his family uh, sought in some way to communicate the gospel to the Saudi people, the tribes. Then they discovered the key for which they had been praying for. So you see, all demonstrations of kindness expressed by the Saudi people were regarded with suspicion, except one act. If a father gave his son to his enemy, his sacrifice showed that he could be trusted. Furthermore, everyone who touched that child was brought into a friendly relationship with the father. The Sawis were then taught that in a similar way, God's beloved son could bring them eternal peace because the father entrusted the son to his enemies. Wow. That's exactly what he's done for us. The gospel of John is written purposely that you might read and believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and in believing you would have life in his name in John 21, 31. That's why we recommend the gospel of John to new believers. The invitation will be satisfying. You will never thirst again, even as Jesus told the woman of Samaria in John 4, 13 and 14. He said, if you drink of this water, you'll thirst again. If you drink of this, you'll never thirst again. She said, Lord, where is it? Give it to me. Jesus said, out of your innermost being shall gush forth torrents or rivers of living water. In John 7, 37, that in the great feast, the last day, when they brought no water. This is the individual who's born again, who has God's spirit, and God's spirit is the source of his strength, the source of his nourishment, the source of his, his quenching of his thirst. The gospel invitation is offered freely to man. But don't ever make a mistake. It was very costly to God. For 1 John 2, 2 says that God made Christ the propitiation for our sins, and not for us alone, but for the whole world. And the word propitiation has the Hebrew understanding of, of satisfying the, the wrath of God by meeting the requirement. So, though it's free to you and myself, it was costly to the Father. 
You come over to my house with your kid and you guys are eating dinner and I have a $10,000 lamp. And your kid, you know, is there messing around before you leave and he turns around, breaks it, and you go, oh. You can't pay for it. And I say, you know what? Shine it. Don't worry about it. Put it on my account. I absorbed the cost. This is what God did. He absorbed the cost for us. The price is his blood, not silver and gold. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. The price is blood of Jesus Christ. The person was the son of God, John 1, 1. This is the offer of salvation to all of mankind. But notice, secondly, the conditions of salvation. There are conditions. First, in verse 6, human will must be exercised. The first part of the exhortation here is, seek the Lord while he may be found. The condition is dependent on man's free will. The seeking is the result of thirsting and hungering after God in verse 1 and 2. And the clear implication is that the opportunity to seek the Lord may not always be available. You might jot down Isaiah 49.8 and 2 Corinthians 6.1. It's not always available. You remember Jesus and John's gospel said, and they could not believe. Not that they didn't want to believe. They came to a place where they could not believe. I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open that door, I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. Jesus knocks. Jesus calls. To think that you're going to be here tomorrow is pretty presumptuous. To believe that you're going to have another opportunity to be saved is sheer stupidity. The two thieves that hung on the cross with Jesus were equally distant from the Son of God, equally had the same opportunity to accept, heard the same words, one perished, the other one entered eternity with Jesus Christ. God will do the same for all. But he will not always be available as we think he will be. The initiation is always by God. Always. Now notice the second part of the exhortation is, and call upon him while he is near. The calling on the Lord is in view of seeing himself as he declares us to be. What? Lost sinners. The nearness of God prior to salvation is to reveal the sufficiency of God and our need of God. So this is opportunity. While he is near, the response is on man's part. Now notice, secondly, in verse 7, human sin must be abandoned. Not only must human will be exercised, but human sin must be abandoned. God even tells his people in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name will turn from their wicked ways, I will heal their hand. Repentance. Everybody needs to repent. There's no one who does not need to repent. Notice the command is to return to the Lord for the purpose of forgiving their sins. The result would be that he would, what? Abundantly pardon. The implication being that no sin would be too great. You might be out there saying, well, you don't understand what I've done. It doesn't matter what I know. It's what God knows. He knows about it already. There's no sin too great. The Bible teaches that where sin abounds, much more does grace abound in the book of Romans. So that's just a lie from hell and from Satan. Whatever you've committed, whatever's been done against you, Jesus says he can make you whiter than snow. Cleanse you, make you a brand new creature, a son and a daughter of God. You have his word on it. 
Pastor Xavier Reese, wrapping up our time today with the promise and simple truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ as we see it presented in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And there's still much more to come next time. Now, if you won't be able to join us, though, here's the next best thing. You can pick up a copy of the message on CD for only $4. The title to ask for is A Call to Be Saved. And make sure you pass on this study to someone who needs to hear of God's plan of salvation when you're through listening. So once again, the title to ask for is A Call to Be Saved, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's helpful when you mention the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us with our stewardship of this outreach. How is it that God can not only forgive sin, but He's able to forget it too? Join us for that simple truth and a whole lot more next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com